As you prepare for retirement, you'll be faced with many important choices. We want you to make the right ones. Welcome to Financial Choices Matter with Charles Scott. Charles is an accredited investment fiduciary. He's well-equipped to help you make sound financial decisions. We want you to experience a meaningful retirement. On our podcast, we believe financial choices matter. This is Financial Choices Matter. Walter Storholt alongside Charles Scott, fiduciary advisor at Peloton Capital Management, serving you throughout the Scottsdale area. You can find us online by going to pelotoncapital.com. That's Peloton with two L's, capital.com. On today's show, we're going to be talking about lots of good things. Uh, A little bit later on, we're going to talk about uh, some of the counterintuitive financial advice that you should really think about. These things on the surface may not sound like wise or sage advice, but it actually uh, will be very beneficial to you in the financial landscape. We've got two great email questions to answer on the show today as we'll open up the mailbag, both in a similar vein between uh, Clark and Carol, both writing into the program. But first, we'll start today's episode off with... It's time to see what's bugging Charles. Boy, are you bugging me, man? I'm getting bugged now. Whoa, man. What's bugging Charles? And uh, Charles, I'll let you take it from here. What's bugging you today? I can't stand when people give advice and make it generically applicable to everyone. It's not applicable to everyone. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. You know, I mean, I'm absolutes are always wrong. I realize I just said, you know, (laughs) sort of a a double negative there, but absolutes are almost always, I'm going to you know, you clarify you, that a little bit. Your, your English uh, major brain just can't yeah, let you let go it, of that. It does that, all, it does that <laughs> to me. Sometimes it gets me in trouble and I get scolded by my wife all the time. But everybody ought to do this or everybody needs to do this or everybody, when you, the older you get, the more you should shift from stocks to bonds because it's safer. And that's the one that's really bugging me right now. Let's go into bonds. Bonds are safer. Uh, nah, not necessarily. Maybe, not necessarily. Historically, for the last 30 years, yes. Is it different now? Yes. And let me explain a little bit about that. Standard thinking has been, as you, as you age, stocks have more risk than bonds. And that's, that is historically true. Over a long period of time, that's absolutely the case. You're going to take more investment risk with stocks than with bonds. If you remember interest rates, and you may not have been here. I remember when we got our first mortgage on my house, I think I was paying 16 or 17% interest. But Savings accounts were paying 17 or 18% interest. So it was, you know, this was in the early 80s. Um, since that time, interest rates have come down and come down and come down and come down. So not only do you have, you have falling interest rates, but when you do that, you have to, you have to understand how interest rates and prices of bonds work. Because the visual that I've always explained it as is you have to picture a teeter-totter, you know, just, you know, an old seesaw. On one end is interest rates. On the other end are the values of the bonds. And when you, when one goes up, the other one goes down. So as, I mean, and it's, it's absolutely, it, this is one, one of those instances where it's just absolutely the case uh, all the time. So if you go back in time to the early eighties and you had high interest rates, as those interest rates have fallen, the prices of those bonds that pay interest have gone up in value. So you've, they have been very, that's been a very safe place to be. And you are always going to not only have interest being paid to you, but you're going to have price appreciation in the bond. We have bottomed out on interest rates because 
it's it, we've been bouncing around the bottom here for three or four years. And ultimately, over some coming period of time, interest rates are going to go up. Uh, are they going to go up a lot? And are they going to go up fast? I have absolutely no idea because I can't predict the future better than anybody else can. But they're going to go up. Um, they've been artificially held down by the I'm not going to get into the whole what's the Fed doing kind of thing. But they have been artificially held down for several years by the short term Fed or, Fed funds rates, which impact long-term bond rates, and they're beginning to gradually creep up. So as bond interest goes up, the value of bonds go down. So you're moving from, if you go with the old adage of, you know, you want to go into bonds more as you get older, um, first of all, they're not paying a whole heck of a lot of interest, so that's not necessarily as good a deal as it used to be. But secondly, you're going to be moving into something that's going to basically guarantee a loss of principal value. You're buying something that's going to be guaranteed to go down in value as interest rates go up. I don't think that's a good idea. I think you need to minimize that. You need to understand what's happening and you need to structure your portfolios so that you maybe have some alternative to just straight old bonds or bond mutual funds as this rising interest rate environment takes off um, so that you're still getting a safe, you know, potentially a safer um, risk parameter for you than just in stocks. We don't use, we're using very short-term bonds. We're using some different kinds of bonds in client portfolios because we've been convinced for a long time, interest rates have gone up, you know, are, are going to go up and they have some, but they haven't as, as much as I thought they would. But at the same time, you know, if you, if you keep in the back of your mind all the time, a teeter totter and how that impacts bonds, then you'll understand why you just need to be careful when you do that. That's one of those things that just, it, it drives me nuts when it's like, well, you need to do this because, you know, and that when you, when you look at target date portfolios, for example, that might be in a 401k plan, the closer you get to retirement, the more they move you into bonds from stocks. You've got to understand what the risks really are in these investments, and you have to, you know. And it's there's always there's always more to the story than just on the surface, and they don't always apply to everybody. So, I'll take a deep breath. I think I've got it off my chest. I can tell I you're try, passionate. I, I will about try that. not to be as bugged. Maybe oh, I'll always be bugged by something. So we'll always have something to talk about, Walter. I could hear you like pounding the desk there in the background. That was <laughs> that was uh, getting a very impassioned response. Then you kind of like calmed yourself down. I, I I could sense that change. That was good. Uh, I, I just have one follow up comment to that, and that would be you know when you talk about things that are less risky. Well, and there's different ways to define risk. So someone looking to buy a bond and sell it you know, within the year, well, there's a lot different type of risk between somebody who's buying a bond and says, I'm going to hold it to maturity. Am I right on, on, on that assumption? Absolutely. If you, you, if you own it, to, if you own an individual bond, and here's, a, here's another big difference. If you own an individual bond, you know exactly what you've paid for. You know exactly how much interest it's going to pay you along the way. And you know exactly how much you're going to get back at maturity. Most people don't own individual bonds. Most people own bond funds or bond exchange traded hmm. funds. And those have, those never mature. They're always uh, buying and selling bonds. Much and different behavior the big then. Difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're okay. buying individual bonds, you know exactly what you got. You know exactly what you're going to get. There is no, there is no real investment risk in it from that point of view. And, but again, I have encountered a handful of people in my career that own any significant amount of individual bonds. Lots of people own bond funds. They're a whole other animal. 
Yep. Very interesting uh, discussion, certainly. We could do a whole podcast on just that one topic, I would imagine. Well, that's what's bugging Charles this week. Charles, take a deep breath. And uh, I am. <laughs> let's uh, let's take a quick transition and see what's uh, in the mailbag waiting for us this week. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. It's kind of an all C's element of the mailbag. We have questions for Charles, and they're from Clark and Carol. So. Clark's up first. Clark's in Mesa says, we have $1.5 million saved for retirement. Very little debt. Do we have enough to not worry about money throughout retirement? Great question, Clark. And it's one we get with different values, but it's one we get a lot. And I give you kudos for a good question. I'm going to then say, but it's not complete because I don't know enough about you to know if that's enough. Uh, What's your lifestyle? How much do you spend? How old are you? Uh, do you have other dollars? You know, if you've got a million and a half, it's for most people, um, there's a, you know, there's the commercial that's been on television for a long time. Um, I won't name the company, but it's like, know your number. Well, your number might be the right number. Your m- number might not be the right number. You just don't know. If you're living on, I don't know what, $50,000 a year of that's all you need to spend in retirement, then that should hold you quite nicely. Uh, but if you're, if you're, if it's going to cost you more than that to live and it's, this really ends up being what financial planning is all about. I've always said, if you can tell me exactly how much you're going to spend every month in retirement and tell me the day you're going to die, I can create absolutely perfect financial plan, but nobody knows those things. So you just don't know million and a half dollars sounds like a great idea. You know, if you went to, and we've talked about this before, I think, and you've, uh, most everybody's always heard of what some will call the 4% rule. And as I've said and always say, it's a rule of thumb, it's not a rule. And, but you know, if you took 4% out of the portfolio, if you had a million and a half dollars, that's $60,000 a year. And if you've got social security, you know, is, there, is your million and a half dollars in a, in a retirement plan? If your million and a half dollars is in a retirement plan, then you don't have a million and a half dollars. Because when you take it out, you're gonna pay tax on it. So, you know, the, I mean, like I said, it's a great question. And from, you know, at, at, on the surface, people would say, oh, well, that's plenty. Uh, and it may, in fact, be. But it just depends on how do you plan to live your life? What do you want it to be? Ideally, uh, you should be rewarded first and foremost for having put that much away. Um, if you have it in, a, in tax-free dollars that are available to you forever and never taxed, then that's a whole different story than if it's in a, you know, like I say, if it's in an IRA or a 401k or a 403b plan or something like that, where you're going to, you know, you've got a partner in Uncle Sam when it comes to taking money out because they're going to collect their fair share of tax. And so you're, you know, a million and a half dollars might be worth a million if you're in a, you know, in a higher tax bracket. It just, it just depends. So, well, you know, like I say, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts to these questions. And when we, talk with folks, one of the things we always try to do is make sure that we understand the vocabulary that we're using and make sure that they understand, uh, because the vocabulary in financial planning and investments is a unique unique vocabulary, set of vocabularies to, you know, to this. Every industry has them. Uh, so we try not to talk broker ease to people, uh, but make sure that they understand the words that are being used. They understand all the variables that come into play when all of this happens. So it's a simple question, great question. And I apologize that it suddenly gets really complicated, but you have to 
scratch under the surface to find out what else is going on with folks. That's how you mm. get to know, you know, for Clark, is a million and a half dollars enough? Don't know yet. For some people, yes. For some people, no. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to move to Carol's question here, Charles, because it's of a similar vein, and you already kind of teased because you got advanced to look at these questions, of course, um, that the, another one of those rule of thumbs is going to pop up, or rules of thumb is going to pop up. Uh, this one's from Carol in Phoenix, and Carol says, I'm 40. I have $75,000 in my 401k. Am I on track to retire comfortably? Great question. A little bit more information, too, because I now know it's in her 401k, and I know how old she is. And again, like I knew with Clark, I know how much there is. And I like this just because sometimes things come up. You get a question or somebody mentions something, and then you see it again, and then you see it maybe a third time in some other context. And I've always been a believer that if, if it suddenly pops up three times, then I should pay attention to it because it might be worth finding out more about. And it was really interesting because I got Carol's question and then almost the next day in the local newspaper, there was a column by Motley Fool. And maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't, but it was a really good idea. And it w the, the, the question was <laughs> comfortable in retirement. That was the heading of the article. And I'm going to give, you know, kudos to Motley Fool for having written something. They have a very good um, rule of thumb for how, you know, where should you be at a certain point of time uh, as far as how many dollars should be, you know, you should have put away for retirement. The idea is, and this is pretty much a standard concept, is maybe the salary that you're making now, the income that you have today, you probably will need, uh, I would say at a minimum, 80% of that in retirement when you've totally stopped working. And as you as you move on through your career, you're going to earn more. So, but you know, again, 80% rule of thumb was probably not a bad one to have. I want 80% in retirement of what I've got today. Social security is going to pay some of it depending, you know, for, for Carol, she's 40. Some version of social security is going to be around, at least in my opinion. So it's going to pay some portion of that. Uh, don't know what it would be. And so what you're really looking at is as you get towards closer to retirement, you should be thinking about having maybe between seven times to 10 times your earnings put away for retirement, whether that's in a retirement plan, an IRA 401k, or you just got it in a regular taxable account, that's okay. But somewhere between seven to 10 times. And there's a big difference there when you do the math. If you're living fairly frugally, then seven times would probably be enough. If you're not, um, then maybe it would be 10. But she's 40. So what the Motley Fool article talked about, and I really appreciate this, was their, uh, their rule of thumb was at 30, at age 30, you should have half of your annual salary saved. So if she's got, you know, well, I'll go back to Carol because she's 40. That's at 30, half of your salary. At age 40, you should have twice your salary saved. That means you're consistently saving year after year, paycheck after paycheck, month after month. Um, so at 30, it's half at age 40, it's twice your salary. So for Carol, that should be according to the, this particular rule of thumb. And there's different rules of thumbs, believe me, then she should have, she should be making half of 75,000 if she's theoretically on track. Okay. Um, at age 50, you should have four times your salary saved for retirement. So, you know, I mean, use that as you, as you get to 60, obviously, then you need to get closer. You're going to be in that seven to 10 times if, it, if at age 50, 
you've had four, you've got four times saved. Now, does this mean you, that it's going to be a terrible retirement if you don't have this? Absolutely not. Again, it's a rule of thumb. It's something to set as a target. But the key thing to understand is, as I said before, if I if you could tell me how much you're going to spend every month, and this is really hard for people to do, how much do you really spend? And how much do you think that's going to change in the future? Uh, and you can't predict the future. I get that. But can we come up with some reasonable estimate of the probability of spending X number of dollars every month, every year in retirement? And then you can work the math backwards to say, you know, how much do I probably need to have? And you can take it back further again with this, you know, this rule of thumb of at age 30, have half of your salary by 40, have twice your salary by age 50, have four times your salary. That, that's going to get you close to that idea of having somewhere between living on 70 to 80% of what you make as you hit your retirement age. So that's that's a real usable and I think functional rule of thumb. And again, it's different for everybody because everybody's different, but it's not a bad place to, you know, to sort of set your sights on, make that perhaps a goal and don't beat yourself up on it if you don't hit it because it's not perfect. You know, when I see something and it pops up two or three times, uh, it, be, it bubbles to the top of my consciousness and it's like, okay, th mm. this is something that, that I, I either need to go find out more about if I don't already have it or I need to make sure that I relay it to somebody else because the world is telling me, tell somebody else. Yeah. I, I like that descriptor of uh, it bubbles to the top of my consciousness. That's great. I'm going to. I'm going to steal that if it's okay with you. <laughs> I've got an idea bubbling to the top of my consciousness right now. I'm going to use that in the team meetings from now on, see how that goes over. Uh, okay. No, those are great questions, though. And it's a little counterintuitive sometimes, I think, Charles, when we have all of these rules of thumb in the financial world, yet the constant advice seems to be, don't follow that rule. No, 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 don't follow that rule either. No, that's a bad rule. Uh, that rule doesn't make sense. That's That rule's outdated. You know, lots of different rule reasons for why these rules are no longer in place. Um, it, it gives me kind of, uh, you know, the idea of some of the other things that might be pieces of counterintuitive advice for someone preparing for retirement or for their financial future. Um, and one of them is that skepticism is okay. And I think we're kind of taught in different phases of life that, yes, yeah, skepticism is fine. And then in other times, you're like, don't be such a skeptic. You know, being a skeptic is kind of viewed as a, a negative thing. Why is skepticism okay in the financial world? I had a German teacher in high school, and he said, I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. And I thought, okay, that's, you know, skepticism is good because people don't know the answers all the time. They think they know. They have good, inf they have good information. We're not always right. I mean, I I'm the first one to admit it. There, and there's a huge difference here. And so you've got to get to the bottom of it. And, and to, to me, I'll come back to what I just said just a, a bit ago, and that is you need to understand the terminology that's being used. You need to understand the vocabulary of what you're talking about. But what's different today from when I started in this industry many years ago uh, is – and we've got this on our website because we think it's really it, it's critical to to a skeptical thinking. Skeptical doesn't mean that you're just negative. Skeptical means you want to be sure that you understand, that you want clarification on things. There's a phenomenal amount of information that's out there today. It's everywhere. There is more information to the any anybody that wants to go looking for it. More information on the investment world and everything related to it on the internet than there was when I started in this business. And we had we had a lock on all the information that was pretty much as a, I was a stockbroker once upon a time for a couple of different Wall Street firms. Um, we had more access to more information quicker than anybody else did. 
it's everywhere now and it's phenomenal how much there is but it's just information it's data points if you don't have the knowledge to be able to sift through that information then it's just a ton of information beyond that you need the wisdom to be able to then take the information and the knowledge that comes through it and to even filter it further and my contention is wisdom only comes from experience you could be the smartest person in the world with all the information available to you but you may all the information available to you but you may not have the wisdom to put it to constructive use cuz you don't have enough experience mm. we've we've done this long enough to uh, i can tell you within 30 seconds if if an idea makes sense and what might be a good uh, to me now that doesn't mean that it's the same response that everybody else is going to give you but to me does this make sense or doesn't this make sense and if it makes sense then we'll go find out more about it if it doesn't make sense i just tell you i don't think it makes any sense and we can have you know a, a conversation about it I, you know i that's the difference between moving from just information to knowledge and then to wisdom your filtering mechanism gets better and better and better and you're able to sift through things quicker and just say nah that doesn't make any sense especially for this particular client even though they might they've seen it and maybe they've read about it and they say is this a good idea and the answer is yes maybe but you know or not that's where i'm you know i'm i'm always skeptical of, of stuff until i have time to figure out is this really valid or not and if it is then we you know throw it into the mix of what we talk to people about and if it's not then you know it's not cuz there's just cuz there's stuff out there doesn't mean it's good stuff yeah <laughs> Well, speaking of that, speaking of information and just because it's out there doesn't mean it's good stuff, that'd be another piece of counterintuitive advice is when it comes to the Internet, realizing that the Internet is not your friend. It is a tool and a resource, certainly, and there's been many facets of life where the Internet has changed things for the better in our lives. The amount of information that's out there today is a wonderful thing in many regards, but especially we see in this financial planning world Oh, be careful. The Internet's not your friend. Totally agree. Totally agree. It's just got information. It doesn't. It, is it valid? Is it real? I remember years and years and years ago in, when, when we were living in Seattle and I was at a conference, a national conference for the International Association of Financial Planners. And there was a presenter up there. And I, 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 there were two presenters. One of them was from Microsoft. And they had pulled up a website. And I remember it vividly. It was a T. Rowe Price, which is a good mutual fund family, a T. Rowe Price website. And they were talking about this Internet thing because <laughs> it was kind of new. And they, you know, they were talking about this is all the information. You can see all this stuff. And then the Microsoft guy said, hey, is it really them? Is it real? Is it fake news? I mean, that's the whole new thing. Now, how do you know that all this hmm. stuff that's out there, how do you know that it's really accurate? How do you know that they don't have whoever's talking about it doesn't have some gigantic hidden agenda that you don't know about? But if you just take it at face value and you and this goes back to the skepticism piece, if you if you just take it at face value and don't dig deeper and don't know. Uh, I remember uh, several years ago, uh, another advisor said to me, you know, if you've ever read somebody that's saying, hey, I think you really ought to buy this, you need to ask the question, why? Why do they think you, you know, if you're, if you're a newsletter writer and you're writing, you know, and you're saying, well, I really like this and I really like this, do they really like it or do they just have it and they want to dump it off on somebody else? So is there some kind of ulterior motive? Is there some hidden agenda? Just because it's out there doesn't mean that it's 
valid. It seems to be much more in a in a political sense in some respects now because of all the, the fake news. But that's just that's the nature of the beast. If you can't discern between what makes sense, if you can't be skeptical and do the work, uh, just having the information without the knowledge and the wisdom, these kind of tie together, uh, makes it really difficult. And people can make some terrible choices because they thought they had good information and they don't. One, one last example. We were reading a bunch of stuff on Social Security several months ago. And it was amazing to me how many other advisors that are writing financial blogs. And I'm not a, I've done it. I've blogged. I blog periodically now. But they were writing about Social Security, and these are people that should know the answer, and they got it wrong. One guy was stated, here's five key things you need to know about Social Security, and three of them were wrong. Oh, no. They were just, they were just flat out wrong. We wrote the guy and said, hey, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Um, never heard back from him, but that's the way it goes. You don't know. Wow. You just don't know. If they're talking about something you're not totally, totally, totally familiar with, then just be careful. Be skeptical. It's, you know, anybody can write anything. So, you know, sounds like my dad talking. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Words I, was matter, though. I was always shocked and amazed how smart my parents got as I got older. So <laughs> we, we can we can identify with that for sure. Um, I think what you're getting at there is words matter. And then those words are influencing our financial choices. And that's the name of our show. Financial choices matter. It's all connected. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, nice tie-in, Walter. That. Thank that, you. The master of the segue here. At least, at least we try. Great opportunity for us to remind you before we wrap up the podcast for today is to, if you have questions, reach out to Charles Scott. Talk through them. Um, I imagine, Charles, that when you meet with folks in the office, it's a lot like you and I here on the podcast, going back and forth, just uh, having a chat about what we want out of our lives, how the financial components play a part and play a role, and how we can make all these things work for us most efficiently to kind of accomplish those goals and dreams. But I imagine it's a pretty uh, pretty calm back and forth and, and, and very personal like we've had here on the show today. Is that right? Absolutely. That's what makes it fun. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So if you want to get in touch with Charles and have that conversation for the first time, uh, you may be a longtime uh, client of Charles listening to the podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in and hope you uh, garnered some extra information out of the podcast today. But if this is the first time you've stumbled upon Financial Choices Matter and learned about Charles Scott, if you'd like to have a little bit more of a conversation about your financial plan and how, as a fiduciary advisor, he might be able to help you better prepare for the future, you can reach him at Peloton Capital Management by going online to pelotoncapital.com serves you here in the Scottsdale area, pelotoncapital.com, or give them a call the old-fashioned way, 480-513-1830. That's, again, 480-513-1830. Charles, as always, thank you for the help on the podcast, and we'll look forward to talking to you on the next one. It's always fun, Walter. Thank you. Always a pleasure. That's Charles Scott, and thank you so much for tuning into the show today. For Charles, I'm Walter. We'll talk to you next time on Financial Choices Matter. Financial planning and investment advisory services are provided by Peloton Capital Management Limited, a state-registered investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No one should assume the information presented here serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized individual advice provided by Peloton Capital Management. For more information, visit www.pelotoncapital.com.